Hello, hello. I think it's gone. All right. All right, guys. How you doing? Wow. Okay. In order for me to continue speaking, I'm gonna need some some encouragement. Hi, hi, guys. Good to see you. All right. Awesome. Um, this this I believe is the second time uh, with you guys as the young adults, and it is uh, an immense joy and a pleasure. So. Um, you're going to need your Bibles today. So if you've got a, a Bible or, or a phone app, phone Bible app, um, bring it out because we're going to read some stuff um, together just as we explore um, a, pretty, a pretty epic and sobering and humbling theme today that I just want to share with you. But before we do that, can we just bow our heads one more time? Just forget everything for a second where... Um, where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in their midst. Um, so just bow our heads, close our eyes and really feel the, feel the weight of that statement. Um, that the God of the universe is standing in this room with us, um, joining in as we open heaven and we speak his word. Lord, we just thank you so much for the time that you've given us, Lord, for... Um, who you've made us to be for the lives that you have allowed us to lead to bring us to this point tonight, Lord. None of this is an accident, and we just thank you that um, you know exactly what you're doing and exactly what you want to say to us, Lord. I pray that you would speak through your servant, Lord, that you would open our eyes to um, how amazing and magnificent and wonderful you are, Lord, worthy of all of our love, worthy of all of our praise and of every breath that we have to give, Lord Jesus. We just pray that you'd be with us and that you'd open our hearts to be receptive to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, the, the title I wrote down is Holiness and the God that we worship. And I was, uh, as always, thinking about, okay, what, what do I talk about and um, the one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Job uh, from kind of like sort of 39 onwards gets pretty insane. Right. So if you haven't read it before, uh, we're about to read it in a second. But I just want to talk about hearing and seeing. OK. Um, you guys have been hearing about God. I know pretty much all of you. And I know that you um were mostly born into, if not all, born into Christian households. And you've been hearing about God since you were kids. So this isn't kind of new to you. And he made heaven and earth and, you know, he was in the Old Testament. He's in the New Testament and Jesus. And um, I fear that we've heard it so often that it's just kind of the weight of it is lost on us. Um, that who God really is when we bow before him in worship is lost on us. And therefore, we no longer bow in worship. Um, we might bow with words, or we might bow with gestures, but our heart is not in a posture that is bowed before God. Um, because we've kind of dismissed or forgotten or lost reverence 
for who our God actually is. We've heard a lot, but we've seen little in our personal relationship with Him. We haven't seen as much as we should. We haven't seen as much as we could either. Um, And tonight, I just want to shine a little bit of that perspective back onto who the God of the Bible actually is. Who the person that we just two seconds ago said is actually sitting with us in this room as we speak. Do we know who we're dealing with? Or have we forgotten? If we have, Job is going to very promptly remind us. Job chapter 31. If you've got a Bible or an app, open it up and follow along. Might as well read it from your own Bible and actually hear it. Job 31. And um, from verse 35. So just to give a bit of context, um, God declares that there is this man, Job, who is holy, for those of you who haven't brushed up on the story in a while. Um, And uh, Satan and all these other angels are standing in front of God and God's like proud of Job as his basically like a proud dad. And he's like, look at Job, my son. He's doing so well. He's perfect in all his generations, blah, blah, blah. All this crazy high praise from God. And Satan's like, right, uh, he loves you and he's perfect in front of you because you've given him everything that he's ever wanted. So I'm going to go and destroy his life and then we'll see how much he loves you, okay? And so God gives Satan permission to gradually just break apart Job's life. And Job maintains before God that he hasn't done anything to deserve what has happened to him, right? So for up until chapter 31, which is where we are right now, Job is pleading his case as if he's in a courtroom and he's saying, I wish that God, that I could actually be in a physical courtroom and that God, my accuser, because he has brought this on me and I'm blameless, right? He hasn't heard God's conversation in heaven, but he's like, hey, I'm blameless, Lord. I I actually haven't sinned to deserve this. Let me stand in front of you and actually argue my case. And he says just as much right here. So this is the very end of um, Job's kind of 31 chapter rant okay, of his his holiness. And here it is from verse 35. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty... Answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. It's a courtroom. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. Like a prince, I would approach him. If my land cries out against me and all its furrows are wet with tears, if I have devoured its yield without payment or broken the spirit of its tenants, then let briars come up instead of wheat and weeds instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. That is the last thing you hear from Job before one more person speaks and then God speaks, which is what we'll skip to. His last recorded words in this kind of passage of his defense is, I wish that God as my accuser would write my accusations against me so that I could wear them as a badge proudly as I walk into the courtroom so that I can prove him wrong, right? That's exactly what he's saying here. It's like, I wish that you could appear with me and that you could show me what, the, what your accusations are so that I can approach you like a prince and defend myself. Don't do that, okay? 
Don't do that because this is what happens next, right? We go to Job chapter 38 from verse 1 where God grants Job's wish, okay? Which doesn't happen so blatantly in that many places in the Bible, but it happens here. And it says this, verse, uh, chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of, the whirlwind, out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Job, you want a courtroom? All right, let's have it. You're going to stand in the position of the defendant and I'm going to speak now and I'm going to ask you some questions and you're going to answer me. I will question you and you shall answer me. Question number one, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely, you know, or who has stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened or who has laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who has shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said this far you may come but no farther and here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the ends of the earth? And shall the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes on a form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea or have you walked in search of the depths, Job? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness and where is its place that you may take me to its territory, that you know its path to its home? Do you know it because you were born then or because the number of your days is great? Have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? By what way is light diffused, Job, or the east wind scattered over the earth? Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on the land where there is no one, a wilderness in which there is no man? God goes on for two more chapters. With question after question after question that no human being can answer. It is a landslide victory in the courtroom to the God of the universe versus the man who thought he could walk in like a prince to defend himself. Though God himself called him righteous and perfect in his generations. When you think of God, when you pray at night and when you sing these songs and when you come on a Friday, is this the God that you see? The one who laid the foundations of the earth, the one who set the limits to the waves, the one who put the stars in their place, the one who called light and darkness out of nothing into existence. Is it that person? Or is it the person that you have put into a box and that you've kind of conjured up in your mind as this is what God is like. This is who he is. I know God. You made him up. This is God. 
right here. Limitless, powerful, boundless. This is God right here. But we forget that when we just keep on hearing about him all day. We forget who it is who is sitting in the room with us. The one who laid the foundations for the earth that we stand on. What's Job's response to God's question time? Job 42 verse 3 says this, You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things that were too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. Well, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. That is the correct response to seeing God. Not just hearing about him. That is the correct level of reverence when God is in a room. The correct level of fear when God is in a room. To command the respect that he is due. Job isn't the only one who actually faced God and stood in front of him. There are a few others. Some of them were the Israelites as a nation of 1.2, 1.3 million people. Um, at the time and says this it's in Exodus 19 I want to read it with you guys so that you get um, a picture of it open it up Exodus 19 from verse 10 and the Lord said to Moses go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they approach the mountain. And after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightnings with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and Moses spoke to the voice of God and he answered him. Have you ever stood in front of a mountain? I've been to China, I've been to um, New Zealand where there are plenty of mountains and I've stood at the foot of a mountain a few now imagine there was 1.3 million people with you and the mountain that you were standing in front of suddenly caught on fire the whole thing caught on fire like a furnace 
And God started to speak to just you, which is exactly what happened to Moses. And Hebrews 12 gives us what Moses was feeling in that moment. And it says, I am trembling and I am exceedingly afraid were the words of Moses in that moment. Imagine that you actually saw a glimpse of God on earth, not even in heaven, not even in all of his glory. Just standing on one mountain on this planet, which is tiny compared to the rest of his creation. And he just singled you out to say hello. Moses said, I can hardly breathe. I can hardly breathe. This is our God. Two more people stood in front of God. Isaiah, who says this. In the year of King Uzziah, it's in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voice, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. What was his response? Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You read about Isaiah before that, and you read about him after that. He doesn't react that way. Because there's a lot of just hearing from generational stories. But suddenly, you yourself stand before God, and your perspective shifts drastically Woe is me, I'm going to die because I'm standing in front of the king and I'm unclean. Because suddenly you see yourself for what you really are. And the last one from the New Testament is this. John in Revelation at the very end, chapter 1, verse 12, says this. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword." His face was like the sun shining in all brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's God. That's the one that we serve. That's the one that we are called to worship. That's the one who is with us in the room right now. That's the one you're going to pray to tonight. That's the one who has led you to this point. That is God. That is our God. So how do I relate to that consuming fire? How do I relate to that smoking mountain? There's this old hymn that um, I'll read to you in a second. Before that, I want to read this. But how this God in all of his glory and holiness and power connected himself to the earth that we live in. It says this. The maker of the universe as man for man was made a curse. The claims of the law which he had made unto the uttermost he paid. His holy fingers made the bow which grew the thorns that crowned his brow. 
The nails that pierced his hands were mined in secret places he designed. He made the forest whence there sprung the tree on which his body hung. He died upon a cross of wood, yet made the hill on which it stood. The sky that darkened o'er his head by him above the earth was spread. The sun that hid from him its face by his decree was poised in space. The spear which spilled his precious blood was tempered in the fires of God. The grave in which his form was laid was hewn in rocks his hands had made. The throne on which he now appears was his from everlasting years, but a new glory crowns his brow, and every knee to him will bow. God took some very practical steps to connect himself to his creation, to connect himself to us, to not be that distant smoking mountain, although he is absolutely that and far more. But to put himself in the form of a man that we can understand, that we can relate with, to contain that power in the form of a loving Christ who came here, who gave himself for me, who died for me, who loved me, who promises me a home, who promises to never leave me while I'm here, who gives me a hope and a future, who wipes my past. The same person who calls the stars by name, calls me by name, and calls me home. A few years ago, I might have shared this before, but um, I was kind of sitting alone in my room and, I don't know, you can call it daydreaming, I guess. I don't really understand what it was, but this really vivid mental image came into my mind. And basically what I was looking at was um, this kind of cliffside that was sort of in the shape of a bowl. Um, so it was like this little kind of half moon and there was just these giant cliffs behind and there's just this white sand in this little bowl that I, you know, that was there. And in front of it was the ocean, as far as you can see. Um, and Jesus was standing on the shore and there was a tidal wave that was coming towards him. And his hands were out and he was just holding it in place and molding the shapes of the water. And in my mind, this tidal wave was just... Was just, it's as if the entire ocean had left its, its depth and was trying to pour itself over. And he was just effortlessly, gracefully shaping it and holding it at bay. And as he was doing that, this little hand comes up into the frame and starts to tug at his white rope. And he looks down and there's this little girl holding a notebook and a pencil. And she's doing some math homework. And she looks up at Jesus and she's like confused and upset and she's like this one's too hard I don't know how to do it and he says all right sweetheart and he just holds his hands up and the water freezes where it is continues to foam but doesn't move he sits down he crosses his legs he grabs her he puts her on his lap and he says which one is it sweetheart and he grabs the pencil and he starts to help her solve the problem blew me away that the God who can do that is the same God who picks up the little girl, puts her on his lap and says, which one is it, sweetheart? Which one do you find difficult? The one who sets the limit for the ocean is the one who's helping me with my fractions problem. How insignificant is that fractions problem? But to the child, to her whole world, it's the one obstacle to her existence is solving this math problem. And he says, which one is it, sweetheart? We'll do it together.
The same God who split the seas, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, who calls the stars by name, took my sinfulness, made me new, promised never to leave me and gave me a home. There's an old song that says this, meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who is God, Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility and washes our feet. Father's pure radiance, perfect in innocence, yet learnt obedience to death on a cross. Suffering to give us life, conquering through sacrifice, and as they crucified, prayed, Father, forgive. Wisdom unsearchable, God the invisible, love indestructible in frailty appeared. Lord of infinity, stooping so tenderly, lifts our humanity to the heights of his throne. Oh, what a mystery, meekness and majesty. Bow down and worship, for this is your God. This is your God. Have we forgotten who he is? Have we forgotten what he is like? Have we forgotten that this is a person who walks on the surface of the sun? And yet is the same person holding your hand and mine. How do we live in light of that? If we were to have that Isaiah experience, if we were to have that Job experience of standing before the whirlwind, how do we behave in light of that? How does it change our perspective? One, to our math problems, that if God can mold the oceans, well, surely he can help me with my math problem. That almost seems like a given once you kind of see that perspective. It's like, oh, why am I worried? That's, that's fine. God will he'll take care of it. It's okay. But more than that, my outlook on everything that I do on, in my life. What I eat, what I watch, what I listen to, how I live, who I speak to, how I spend my time. Everything changes in light of the fact that I am going to stand before this person. And none of us know how long we're here for. So that might be tonight. That might be tomorrow. That might be 70 years from now. But it is appointed for man to die once and then face the judgment. So that Job experience, you will have that. As a matter of fact, the Bible guarantees that you will have that. But the beautiful thing is that you have a choice of whether you have that now in intimate relationship with God or whether you face Him as your judge at the end. But one way or the other, every knee will bow. You get given the choice of where you would like to bow, in heaven or in hell. But every knee shall bow. So how does, not just God's power and the scariness of the mountain and the fire and all of that stuff. That's not how he revealed himself in Christ. As that tender, loving God. Still that powerful, still that consuming, but also that tender and that humble meekness and majesty. Manhood and deity. This is the holiness part. I want to read you some verses just to illustrate kind of the importance of holiness. You don't have to look these up. These are going to be some quick fire ones, right? But just listen and look out for the common theme addressing us as believers, as Christians. Who's still with me while we're... Yeah, sweet. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. 
What is holiness? God is described as holy consistently. He is separate. He is set apart. Think about the lump of gold when it's just coming out of the earth. There's all this dross and dirt and kind of rubbish around it. And then there's the actual gold itself. Holiness is that separateness. Here is the gold. Here is the rubbish. God is here and he is calling us out of this dross to be with him where he is, to be holy. Separate yourself from what you have come out of and be the gold and come towards me. Okay? That's what holiness is. Purity and separation to God. Okay? In Christ. But just as he who called you is holy, is separate, is pure, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. How can a young person stay on the path of purity or holiness? By living according to your word. Psalm 119.9 He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. 2 Timothy 1.9 Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139 But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. If you are separate, these things no longer suit you. These practices, these habits, these words, these groups no longer suit you. They are on this side. You now belong to this side. Separate yourself. Be pure. Be holy. Be separate like God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Holy, holy, holy. It's almost like every famous verse that you have memorized has the word holy in it. We just kind of gloss over it. Oh, holy, cool. God's holy. We're to be holy. Cool. But we live lives that don't really reflect that. They don't reflect any kind of separation from the world that we live in. And that's a big problem because if we're trying to attract people to Christ, and if we're telling people that Christ is better than the joys of the world, And we're not experiencing that. And we don't find him joyful enough or satisfying enough to actually really be that for us in our lives. How do we hope to show that to the rest of the world, much less lead them towards that in Christ? How? We look like the world and we don't give it a second thought. And there's this verse that's always stood out to me in James 3, 9. And it says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with the same tongue we curse human beings who have been made in His likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? How is it? 
guilty, by the way, before we get into any of this. How is it that the same ears that listen to sermons listen to all the other trash that I pour into my ear? How is it that the same screen I read my Bible on, I watch porn on, how is it? How is it that the same mouth that speaks praises to God tells these jokes or says these things behind someone's back? Fresh water, salt water, one spring. How? And we're doing this in light of the God who we belong to and the God that we worship being the same who stood in front of Job in the courtroom and said, I will question you and you will answer me. One day, hopefully in love, you will stand before that God and he'll say, I gave you X amount of days, years, resources, health. I will question you and you'll answer me. What have you done with those? How have you lived in those? Was I enough for you in those? Was my son an ornament on your arm or on your wall or on your bedside table while you were living those years? Seeing God causes a response. Every time. Really seeing Him. Not just hearing about Him. I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear. But now I see you and I abhor myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. There is a shift in perspective when I actually stand before God. Have we taken the time to actually stand before God? This is some real talk here. Have we actually, do we take our faith seriously enough to be like, well, this isn't just something I do on a weekend. And you've been hearing this since I don't know how long. But have I dived deeper? Have I actually gotten to know who God is by reading His Word? The meek part and the powerful part and the, the, the human part and the God part. Have I put myself in perspective next to that God and found out how to behave accordingly? How to live in reverence? How to live separate? How to live holy? We reach for death every day. And it's like we don't give it a second thought. We reach for what is dross every day. There is no activity to holiness. Which is a big problem considering that half the New Testament has that word in it. Every couple of verses. It's concerning. But then there's this incredibly beautiful verse. 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 3.18, it says this, And we all, which is really encouraging, who with unveiled face contemplate, behold, look at, okay, the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I read a quote this morning that said, there is no one who is ever a disciple of someone that did not eventually become like that person. More like that person was the quote. So if we're all claiming to be following Jesus and 20 years have passed and there has been no change to your life, you're following someone, but it isn't Jesus. 
Because if you're following him, you're going to be turned, like he's saying, into his image, into his likeness with ever increasing glory. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness. Are these evident in our lives? Are we moving towards these things? And it's not us who manufacture them. It's God who brings them out in us as we behold his image, as we actually take the time to say, Lord, take away the veil and let me look at you. And as I look at you, I will have that response of humility, of reverence, and you will make me more like you as I behold you, because then I will discover that what you say about yourself is true. That the joys found in you really are so much more superior to what the world has to offer me. That the plan that you have for my life is better. That trusting you is better. That loving you is richer and deeper. And I will become more like you. And as I do that, I will have an influence on the world that I live in. And I will be separate from it. And I won't look like it. I won't look like it. For it is appointed for man to die once. Knowing that, reverse engineer it. That's the vision. We're at the end now. Reverse engineer it. If you know that one day, Each of us, by himself, there's not going to be found a friend, is going to stand before God. Either as father or as judge. One way or the other, it's it's God. It's actually him. It's not. It's him. You're not meeting with someone else. You're meeting with him. How am I living now? And am I taking the time to meet with him now? So that when I meet with him, then it's not a surprise. I know this person. I've been living with this person my whole life. So when I meet him, it is this joyous, Lord, I'm home. My son, you're home. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. Or will it be a different meeting? Knowing that that is the inevitable destination that every person in this room, believer or not, is heading for. Would you like to make any changes or is this your final answer? This is not a... Um, so this is I'm hearing myself. I'm realizing, This is not a, a guilt message. This is not a fear message of, hey, God... No, like, God did all of this to draw us to himself, to have relationship with us, to let us enjoy the fullness of that, to give us a hope and a future, to love us beyond measure. This is, a, this is the most logical and obvious and minimal response to that love, to that grace and to that glory and power that comes with it. This is the most basic response. But I wonder if we just play this game every week and every night with these 10 minutes of Bible reading, if that, or prayer at, at, at every night when I read another quote yesterday where it was like, Satan spends 24 hours a day, seven days a week in strong effort to deceive you. And you believe that your 10 minutes of Bible reading per night are going to combat that. What are you pouring in? What's the sword that you're holding? What direction are you taking? Every now and then you've got to take some time to stop and ask yourself some hard questions that make you uncomfortable. 
Because I would rather I ask them of you now and of myself most definitely now before we go to that meeting. And you can go to that meeting right now. And in fact, that's what we're going to do. Just bow your heads. Where two or three are gathered together, there am I in their midst. We are those two and three. And that same God that we spoke about and heard about is in our midst. Humbling as that is. Feel the weight of that. And each of us have been given an open road, an unveiled face to address him with tonight. We don't have to wait till the very end. We've been given a relationship with him so that we can speak to him. So please take the time to actually speak to him tonight. Don't harden your heart. Whatever's on it, just speak to him. Just remember who he is. Just thank him that in spite of who we are, he loves us as much as he does. He secures our future in his hand. Promises to never leave or forsake us and takes us on his lap and says, which one, sweetheart? Which one? Father, we just thank you so much for who you are, Lord. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made, Lord. We have heard of you with the hearing of the ear. Lord, would you give us a vision of who you are? Lord, would we see you for who you really are? Lord? Would you humble our hearts? Lord, would you separate us? Lord, would you make us holy? Would you draw us further in and further up, Lord Jesus? Would our lives practically reflect our love of you, Lord? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you change us from the inside out? Lord, as we walk with you, as we behold you, as our faces are transformed from glory to glory. Thank you so much, Lord. We pray that you part us with your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.